0: Welcome. We're glad to have you uh, in the room. We're also glad to have you watching online. Uh, We have as many as 500 people sometimes uh, who are watching us on live stream. So uh, we had a baptism last service and we had family all over the country watching and participating in that. So it's just a wonderful additional gift. And we're glad to have you also as a part of our worshiping communion. Uh, We've come at this time where we're going to unfold our series. And the series is based on that scripture that you heard the narrator mention which is, I believe, a, a powerful chapter that we should acquaint ourselves with as Christian people, uh, and even if you're not Christian, I think there's value in the instruction that you'll find there in 2 Peter chapter 1. It, first of all, in, in just a glorious fashion, simplistic, says these are all the things that God has done for you, you know, to, to make you his child. And then he says, in response to that, not in order to become that, he's made that possible for you through his love for you. And in response to his love for you, then let your faith be marked by certain qualities. And we've already talked about a few of those in previous services, by goodness, knowledge, and today we're calling it self-control. That's what Peter says. Let your life be marked by these things, not just so that we stand out as super people in the culture, not important. What is important is that he wants our lives to be effective and productive And if you allow these things to mark your life, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So for your benefit and for the benefit of the world in which you live, you know, try to add to your faith certain qualities. And he goes through those, and we're talking about today, self-control. Now, you probably don't know this, but uh, we go through a process by which we identify a series that we think we ought to be teaching about. And that involves a lot of people. And then we boil it down to a few people who are uh, well acquainted with the Bible. And and we say, okay, this is a subject. Uh, What are the parts of that subject that would be helpful to people? And that's a smaller group of people. And and then uh, after that's done, uh, Pastor Dion goes away. And and he makes those themes and chooses the scriptures that would teach that thought. And then he makes assignments. And uh, he makes assignments as to who will teach that day. And a lot of times, who is on the stage has to do with schedule you know, his schedule or my schedule, you know, where we are at any given time. And he tries to be very gracious in terms of uh, am I available or not available. And, and then sometimes he'll say, Steve, I know you have a passion about this subject. You know, uh, I've heard you talk about this subject, and I, I think you're the best person to teach this subject. And so he'll give me uh, that weekend to, to teach. And then there are times when he says, Steve, I, I know that you suck at this quality. So... <laughs> I would like you to do some serious study, you know, and the very fact that I use that word is an indication that I do struggle with self-control occasionally, and I I think we all deal with self-control issues, and and so uh, I'm privileged to teach on this lesson today. You know, self-control is such a big deal, uh, and it's obvious that the Scripture considers it a big deal, and so does the culture. How important is self-control? Important enough for Dr. Seuss to emphasize it. And, and, uh, you know, Dr. Seuss is is every child's uh, favorite author, or at least one of the favorite authors of children. But I I think it's a favorite author because adults see the truth in Dr. Seuss's uh, rhymes. and, And they're fun to read. And so kids pick up on our excitement about that message. And in his famous book, Oh, the Places You Will Go, he said, You have a brain in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself in a direction you choose. You know, free will, right? You're on your own, and you know what you know, and you're the one who'll decide where you go. Wow, that's exciting. That's exciting for kids. It talks about freedom, and it also talks about responsibility because, you know, uh, you choose a path, and that path has consequence. And so it's a great learning device, important to Dr. Seuss how important is self control important enough to be included in Solomon's wisdom the man the bible says was the wisest man that ever lived before him after him until this day and solomon mentioned self control in one of his proverbs he said like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self control well that doesn't sound like a good thing you know you're susceptible to the enemy uh, you're going to be taken captive Or killed. You know, he doesn't have your best interest at heart. And so self control is like maintaining that wall that protects you from those things and those people who want to destroy you. How important is self control? Important enough for Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, uh, to speak about it when he was uh, giving instructions to his understudy, the man who would take over his ministry, uh, the man named Timothy. He said, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame, you know, don't let the embers of faith uh, die down, keep them strong. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands when you receive this ministry. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, Timothy, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Last week we talked about knowledge. You know, knowledge when it comes to faith often divides people. But that's not the kind of knowledge that we should be marked by. It should be an intimacy with God that unites people. That's the kind of knowledge that Jesus demonstrated in his life. And when we have that intimacy with God, we receive these gifts. We receive power. There's power in his word. We receive the ability to love. And we also receive this incredible gift called self-control. Now, compare that with Michael Jackson a few years ago when uh, a man who's not the epitome of self-control, I would say, you know, in in his life. A gifted man, certainly. We're going to talk about a gifted man today who had to learn self-control as well. But when he said, you know, I'm looking at the man in the mirror, you know the song? He said, I'm asking him uh, to make a change. No message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make the... Change, he said. You know, but how do you, how do you do that? How do you go about doing that, making that change? Well, before we get to the uh, actual text, I'm going to be looking at Genesis chapter 39 and the story of, of Joseph. Uh, I want to give you some pretext insights into who I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Joseph who was married to Mary, who were the parents of Jesus. No, I'm talking about the Old Testament Joseph. I'm talking about Abraham, gave birth to Isaac, gave birth to Jacob, gave birth to 12 sons, one of whom was Joseph. Now, we remember that Joseph became second only to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. We don't always remember how did Israel even come to be in Egypt, you know, when they built all the pyramids and did all the great things as slaves. Well, uh, before that time, uh, Joseph was that 11th son of Jacob. I say he was uh, the victim of a dysfunctional family. Aren't we all? You know, I blame my family for everything. Uh, but his family was even more dysfunctional than yours. Joseph was the 11th of 12 sons. Now, here's the story about his daddy. His daddy was sent back to the homeland to choose a godly wife because his older brother had chosen badly and his parents said, we can't have that again. So they sent him back to the homeland to find a woman who actually believed in the same God they did. And when he got back there, his eyes fell on Rachel. Rachel was stunning. And he said to her father, "Uh, you know, I would love to have Rachel as my wife. And he says, well, work for me for seven years and I will grant you uh, Rachel as your wife. And so Those years passed, boom, like that, the Bible says, you know, and and he was ready for that moment. And so they had a big ceremony and uh, they partied hearty. and uh, Joseph got extremely inebriated. And that night uh, his father-in-law gave him Leah as his wife, not Rachel. Did I say that Joseph was inebriated because he didn't recognize the difference until the next day? And he said, what have you done to me? And uh, his father-in-law said, "Well, it's not the practice in our land to allow the younger daughter to marry before the older daughter." And so I gave you Leah. You can also have Rachel, by the way, if you continue to work for me. And so he had these two sisters as wives. Did I say he was a part of a dysfunctional family? Because he certainly was. And 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 God took concern for Leah because Leah was not as attractive, not a stunner like Rachel. And so he gave Leah children. In fact, she had four children, and Rachel couldn't have children at all. Rachel got upset, and she said, I'm unable to have children. And so here, Jacob, take my servant and have children with her who will become my children. And Leah said, well, I'll two can play at that game. Jacob had four wives by the time this was over. The Bible says sometimes he stayed out into the field because it was more peaceful there than to go home. You know, that's the family that he was raised in. Now, now, Joseph was the 11th uh, son, and, and uh, he was born to the beloved Rachel. And he was born very late in his father's life, too. And so he became one of the favorites. In fact, he was the favorite son, which leads to problems in the family. Let me just read to you from uh, chapter 27 before we get to the text. Joseph, a young man of 17 was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of the servant women, who were also his father's wives. And he brought to their father a bad report about his brothers. Now Jacob loved Joseph more than his other sons. Wow. Stating it plainly. Because he had been born to him in his old age and born to him by his mother Rachel. And he made for him a colorful robe, Joseph's robe of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than he loved any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So you had this animosity of the other brothers against Joseph. And here's what they decided to do. We've got to deal with this guy. And so they were going to kill him and bring back his beautiful coat of many colors, all covered with blood, and say, a wild animal has done this. And uh, dad would get over it, and there would be peace in the family. But Reuben, the oldest brother, said, no, we, I can't bring myself to do that. Let's, let's throw him in a pit. And he hoped to later come and set him free. But the brother said, well, why should we not make some money on this? There was a passing caravan headed to Egypt. And so they sold their brother Joseph as a slave to a caravan that was going to Egypt. That's what happened. So that's a bit of the background story. Now, I want to add one more point. In that Joseph was about to learn the truth of the proverb, strong winds make for stronger trees. Joseph was spoiled. He was handsome. He was strong. He had everything going for him except maturity. You know, Except for any kind of stability. He was arrogant. He was prideful. And God was going to take him through some difficult times. And through these difficulties, he was going to mature him to be the kind of person that God needed him to be. I want you to watch for, as we read these 10 verses, I want you to watch for three things. First of all, Joseph's circumstance in life was never an indication of God's favor. Read that to yourself. His circumstance in life was not an indication of God's favor because I think we believe that. If things are not going well, we say, where is the favor of God going in my life? God was showing him great favor Uh, through the difficulty. There's a scripture that says uh, God treats us as children. What child of a loving parent is not disciplined? We discipline children to show them our love. In fact, children that are not disciplined question your love, and they will force your discipline upon them. And so circumstance did not indicate God's favor. God favored him even when he was teaching him the lessons of maturity through hard times that he would need to learn. And his circumstance in life did not define the qualities of his life either. You know, sometimes uh, we think, well, man, I just i have a blue-collar job. I have a dead-end job. You know, I, I'm in a family company. There seems to be a glass ceiling here. I don't know what's going to become of me. I've made some bad choices. And, and so we feel that, you know, our life will never be great. Joseph, even when he was a slave, had a good life. Joseph, even when he was in prison later, had a good life. His circumstance did not define the quality of his life. Important for us to realize as well lest we project that upon ourselves. And then last, I want you to, as I read these 10 verses, I want you to realize that blessings hold as much or more potential to undo you as does hardship. You think you're undone by hardship? You'll be more often undone by favor and blessing. Good times destroy more people than hard times. Hard times put you on your knees. You know, good times say... You know, I don't need to be in church. I don't need God. Look at it, man, I'm capable. Well, let's look at the uh, 10 verses beginning at chapter 39. Uh, Joseph has been sold by his brothers to this caravan that's headed to Egypt, and, and that's where he finds himself. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, even the captain of Pharaoh's entire guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph was a slave. And still God was with him. And he prospered him, even as a slave. He prospered him. His circumstance didn't mean that God didn't care. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now his master noticed that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord was giving him success. Even though he was a slave, his master said, Wow, there's something about this guy in everything he did. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant, his right-hand man. Uh, Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household and entrusted to his care everything that the man owned, and he owned a lot. From that time, he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, the things he had in his house and the fields that he had as well. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he didn't worry himself about anything. He only took care of the food that he was going to eat. That's all he worried about was, what am i am going to have for dinner today? Now Joseph was strong, and he was handsome. And after a while, Potiphar's wife, his master's wife, took notice of the young man and urged him, come to bed with me but Joseph refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master, your husband, does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because, of course, you are his wife. How then, knowing how God has favored me, realizing the blessing in my life, even though I'm a slave, I'm treated so much better than that, and all this authority and all the respect that I have and God's love, how then, knowing all of that, could I risk all of that and do such a wicked thing and sin against God who has made it all possible? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be in the same room with her an important text. Everyone struggles with self-control. It's a universal condition. God has given us free will. We can choose to not be obedient. We are created sensual people, and, and that's a good thing. I think there ought to be a law against Cinnabon. You walk through the airport, and they pump that sweet aroma into the into the pathway, and what can you do except turn aside, you know? We're all tempted, you know? We all see things that are beautiful. We smell food that we know would just taste awesome. Uh, We see nice cars, we see nice homes. You know, we're all tempted. No one is beyond temptation. Not even the greatest of all the apostles, the apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. He knew about temptation. He knew about the struggle to maintain self-control, he said, I have the desire to do what is good. I know what it is. I want to do it. But man, I fall down a lot. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Keeps inning cinnabuns. You know, he just can't help it. You know, he knows better, he doesn't want to, but you know, he's only human. I contend that all of us struggle with control issues. Way too many of us give other people control over us. You are God's child. He loves you. He knows the number of hair on your head. He knows the length of your days. Before you were even born, he knew you would be born. And he sent Jesus Christ to redeem you from your failure. And even in your failure, he doesn't give up on you. There's a scripture that says, can a mother abandon her child? Yes, we've seen even mothers abandon their child. But God will not abandon you. He has carved you on his hands. And Jesus certainly has scars on his hands, you know, from the love that the Father demonstrated towards you. You are his child in good seasons or bad seasons. And he gets frustrated with you, not because you bring shame on him by bad behavior, uh, He gets frustrated with you because you are bringing difficulty into your life by disobedience. That's the reason he cares so much about what is right and wrong. As a good parent doesn't care what people say to them about their child, they care about their child and they want their child to do right because it's a favor and a blessing in a child's life. But instead of recognizing who we are and being obedient to who we are and maintaining self-control, we give other people control over us. If you are a person who is still bitter towards someone who has done you wrong, you are giving that person control over you. Why do you do that? Why do you allow them to have that kind of power over you for some past hurt? That's their problem. It shouldn't identify you. It shouldn't control you. Let it go. You've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. Be forgiving of people who don't even ask for your forgiveness. Why give them that control? If you are subject to road rage, (laughs) why allow some other idiot to control your driving behavior? Why give them control, men? (laughs) If you are depressed over a lack of recognition that you've got in your office, over promotions that have gone to somebody else, why allow somebody else's activity or decisions to influence how you feel about yourself or your value, or your importance in life? Why give others control in that way? And if it's not others, it's circumstance. I'm amazed at how many people are paralyzed by setbacks in life and circumstance that occurs. They've been in a bad accident, and they're crippled or injured, or or they're chronically diseased. and, And as a result, they begin to think differently about themselves. Joseph was sold into slavery, And when he refused to go to bed with Potiphar's wife, she seized his garment, told her husband that he tried to sleep with me and I got his garment here to prove it. Potiphar sent him to prison. He was in prison and still God favored him and provided for him and eventually rescued him. Why let circumstance control how you feel about yourself or the value that you have in life? Financial setback, major appliance repairs, car failure, flooded basements. Why do these things impinge upon your belief that God favors you or wants to bless you? Perhaps it's through these very things that he's shaping your character and enabling you to become the kind of person that can rise above and become greater than you are if nothing bad happened to you. I can show you children that have been sheltered by their parents all through life. No teacher wants that child in their classroom. You know, that's not a child who's learned to manage life well. We give circumstance power. We give people power. We give our past and present mistakes power over us. We kick ourselves for bad performance. I got to tell you, last night I just... I had a day of meetings and I was tired and I just, my sermon did not gel. My points were, were silos, not connected, and I just, all night long, I was so frustrated. And I said, preach this sermon to yourself, Steve. You know, why do you let that continue to bother you? An outburst of anger that we feel frustrated for and we keep kicking ourselves for something in our past. An educational opportunity or a career path chosen. Could God not bless you now? He blessed Joseph in slavery. He blessed Joseph in prison. Have you fallen that far? Why allow those other things to control you when God is greater than all of those things and all of those people? A few years ago, because I was so amazed at how people were paralyzed Uh, by losses in their life, you know, some tragic losses for sure. I'm talking uh, too soon deaths of parents or of children and and how people are paralyzed and give up on life. I said, is there no power in the gospel? Is there no power in the word of God? Why do people get so paralyzed? Why do they get, you know, so frustrated and and give up? And and I began to study that more, and I wrote a book called Serenity Principles based on the serenity prayer. And I think there's such wisdom in this, and I I just want to stop now and pray it with you. Thinking about the words, it was written in the 1930s by a man named uh, Reinhold Niebuhr. He was a Christian pastor. And uh, the Depression, people took their lives. Circumstance was so awful, people couldn't provide for their own children. I I know my father's own family took other people's kids in and raised them like they were his brothers and sisters. They weren't. They were people that lived in town. He lived on a farm, and so they could better provide. Uh, Tough things happened during the 30s, and he wrote this prayer to try to help people. This prayer became so popular, it was actually printed and given to all the chaplains in World War II to share with men who found themselves in anything but serene environments. Pray it with me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that the Lord will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. Did I say that Reinhold Niebuhr wrote that? Joseph could have written that prayer. You know, that's the kind of prayer that he would have written. There are self-control issues that must be learned, and and they are learned behavior, which is, you know, to uh, our encouragement. And and if you are parenting a child, please, please pour into your children lessons about self-control. Please don't allow their whining, their pleading they're constant badgering to force your decision. You know, do them a favor and do the rest of us a favor by teaching them some self control. Because if it's not taught at home, children will suffer for it in school. And so will teachers. If it's not learned in school, your children will suffer for it in life. And if it's not learned in life, self control, it will be taught through consequence. It will be taught. You know, they will eventually suffer for lack of self-control. Some will even be imprisoned for it. Lack of parental instruction uh, in Joseph's life required the Lord to take Joseph to school. You know, he, he really had to go to school and learn this. There was just too much to be gained by this life that the Lord would not let it go. And so he brought struggle into his life. He made him a slave. He put him in prison. And through all of that, Joseph became the man he was capable of being that he would have never become without the discipline. There are four keys that we can find in this ten verses uh, of Joseph's ultimate success. First, he began to realize that the Lord's blessing... In life matters more than opportunity. Man, the Lord's blessing matters more than the opportunity you've been given. Joseph wasn't given much opportunity. He was made a slave. He wasn't given much opportunity. From slavery, he went to prison. The Lord's blessing mattered more than his circumstance. It matters more than education. It matters more than how wealthy your parents were. It matters more than family of origin. It matters more than knowing the right people. It matters more than catching the right brakes. The Lord's favor. That's why last week we talked about intimacy. You know, getting close to the Lord and allowing the Lord to get close to you. It changes you and it will bring blessing into your life. He experienced also then the rewards of right behavior. Potiphar noticed. He said, wow, this, is, this guy is different. There's something about him. There's something wise. There's something settled about him. And so Potiphar began to reward him and gave him increased authority. And withheld nothing from him so that he became, as a slave, this commander of the uh, Egyptian Guard. He became his right hand man. And I, can, I could bring people up here who could testify who have been on the board of directors of this church, who have poured themselves into uh, getting closer to the Lord and taking the Lord's responsibility on, not in any way thinking that that would bless them in their life. But I can tell you that I have seen some who began as junior executives who now have incredible six figure salaries. Because God has blessed them, and they will all say, I had no idea. You know, as I grew deeper in the Lord, I also became wiser. And in my wisdom, it was noticed by others, and I was blessed. Uh, Third, there was also uh, a consequence of wrong behavior that that Joseph weighed. He said, if God has done all of this for me, why would I put that at risk? In my phone, I, I record pithy sayings that uh, are there for a reminder to me, but they're also occasionally shared with others as a reminder to them when they're whining about this or that. Uh, One of them that I have in in my phone that I've sent to more than a few people, and every time I do I have to live with it myself, is that sometimes I have to tell myself it's not worth the jail time. (laughs) I could make the situation right, but it's not worth the consequence of, of doing that. And so I learned self-control because I know the consequence of bad behavior would not be to my benefit, nor to the benefit of those I was trying to teach a lesson. You know, there's consequence for wrong behavior, and Joseph knew that. He also refused to be trapped by the moment. There are a lot of people who practice situation ethics. You know, in this situation, I behave this way, and in this situation, I behave that way. In God's situation, ethics never change. We teach kids Ten Commandments because there's the sum total of moral law in the Bible. And we don't teach them to prove that they're good people and, and, and to make them benefits to society. We teach them because that's a way to bless a life. Follow these things and you will be a blessing to yourself, to others, and you will bring glory to God. There's a progression of the Lord's counsel in our key passage, and I'm wrapping up now from, 1 Peter, uh, from 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, Make every effort, because God has done so much for you. Add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control. Goodness, Pastor Dion defined for us, is having the right attitudes, saying what would God have me do, what not? not what looks best, not what promises the best return, not what is politically correct, but what is Right? And then acting in that direction and finding out that that actually works. And then, knowledge last week, we said knowledge, a Christian knowledge or biblical knowledge or theological knowledge typically divides people. Not the kind of knowledge that we should be marked with. The kind of knowledge that we should be marked with is knowledge of God, intimacy with Him that doesn't divide. Jesus didn't divide, He reached across faith lines. He reached across gender lines. He reached across illness lines. That's the kind of knowledge that we should be marked with greater intimacy. So when we know what is right, we attempt to do it, and we walk closely with God, then we will demonstrate self-control, which is the application of goodness and knowledge in the practical matters of life. So let's take the first step. Uh, Heath Luman, one of our uh, teachers in our grade school, uh, meets with us for sermon study. A really gifted theologian himself. He's, he's a teacher, a middle school teacher, but he's also uh, biblically knowledgeable. And he pointed out this book to me called The Immunity to Change. You know, why don't we change? Why do we fall down in self-control? And I, and I looked at it, and Bob Keegan, who wrote it, had some interesting discoveries. He, he said, these are the things that we need to do to make a change. We need to identify our goal. What is your goal? And in the book, Keegan mentions a a CEO who micromanaged her staff. That was her problem. She wanted to quit micromanaging her staff. She had to identify what she did to sabotage her goal. I don't know, that probably isn't your problem, but that was hers. And what do you do to sabotage your goal, he asked her. And she says, well, I tend to run every meeting. Or if I don't, I tend to take the meeting over after a while. Identify why you do that, because I don't want to waste time. (laughs) <laughs> or because I wanted to turn out right and examine the assumptions that cause you to do that kind of thing because I believe I have this assumption that if you want something done right, do it yourself or there is only one right way to do it and neither one of those is true. Those are false assumptions that lead to false behavior. So the first step in establishing control in an area where you've lost control is to acknowledge it and to identify how you want to change. Then grow in your goodness. Grow in your knowledge of your Lord. And believe what Paul told Timothy, that your life as you mature in faith will be marked by power, as Joseph's was, love of even those who are difficult to love. You will rise above their meanness and self-control which is a powerful tool in the hands of nearly everyone. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that uh, you have guys like Joseph in the Bible, you know, a study of a life in progress that we can learn from. And we can know that uh, even, even when we suffer the consequence of our bad behavior, as he suffered the consequence of lording it over his family, Uh, that you don't desert us and and you go there with us. You're not ashamed to become a slave. You're not ashamed to become a prisoner and live in prison with us if need be. And you will not desert us and you will even prosper us in those situations. Lord, help us to trust that as we have seen Joseph uh, be blessed by you. Help us to know that you desire that same blessing for all of us. We pray in Christ, amen. God bless.